0: First Smoke family, we got a huge episode today with Nika T, one of the original forefront fathers of hash making today. The guy that really is on the forefront of hash making, growing for hash, and talking everything solventless, and coined the term solventless. We get into his background traveling the world based on cannabis. Hash making in Denmark, Colombia, Tenerife, all over the place. Canary Island, Spain, on and on, Germany, me. This is a really cool episode, trust me. Pay attention. FSOTD.com.
1: If you guys aren't already on the website, get on the website. There's three tiers to choose from. Tier one is now free, so yes, you can sign up on the website for free. Get over to the website right now, FSOTD.com. Sign up and check that out. You'll see all the cool stuff you've been missing. Also, special announcement we are now partnered with raw rolling papers Yee. as well as elements papers and every other entity they have going with them. Uh, we use elements and raws. We've been using elements and Raw since the beginning of our smoking journey. So we're really excited to announce that. Go on the website. You'll see under the sponsors tab a code where you can get hooked up. We appreciate raw, appreciate everybody
0: that uh, has been supporting the show. And yeah, you know what it is. I'm an element king size wide guy. That's, that's my go-to rolling paper from Raw. I know Pac and I have been r and and all their new stuff. They have a ton of new stuff dropping. But if you're a grower and you wanna get hooked up, Grow Generation, 60 stores nationwide, delivery to your door, and you get hooked up through first smoke of the day. Like Pac said, all you have to do is go to fsotd.com. We get you hooked up with Grow Generation and Drip Hydro, one of the new nutrient companies storming the market, bunch of growers switching over, try Drip. We get you hooked up, we connect you directly to them. All you have to do is go to our website and it's the same with Dr. Dabber. If you want to try a new electronic smoking device, you're going on a trip, this is the device. Dr. Dabber hooks you up, but it's all through fsotd.com. Yo, without any further ado, we got a Nick at T. Let's go,
1: first smoke family.
2: From a young age, I sold cannabis and I sold hash. And that was like my income for a long time, was duffel bag boy with a knife on my side. Since day one, combining being a DJ and starting a hash brand around the same time, I wanted to do road. I've always been a traveler. So I went to Europe and I started studying it and I started seeing things back then even, that there were heavy metals left in this product. Had a seminar utilizing a silk screen mesh with water to separate trichome heads. So that's really, really where it all started. We coined the term solventless wax because we wanted to recreate that color, that consistency of the earwax without the use of any chemical solvents like butane. It's been a hard, long journey. There's been a lot of naysayers, but now I feel like we've really created a long lasting platform and community. It's bigger than what I had ever imagined this would become.
1: Hey, what's good, everybody? We're back again with another episode. It's first smoke of the day. It's your boy Pat God's here. Co-host Blackleaf as what always. <laughs> and this one's been a long time coming, man. We got my man Nick t in here. How I, you doing? I'm blessed. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely, bro. We've uh, this guy's been talking about you since Colorado days. I think we bumped into you a few times, uh, you know, along the journey. Definitely uh MJ BizCon, maybe yeah. a long time ago, like you know, way, way, way back um, spoke to you. And then, yeah, since we started the pod, we've been like, Hey, we got to get him on here.
2: Well, I appreciate you guys reaching out initially. Yeah. It's taking a little time to make sure our schedules line up, but, uh, I'm glad we made it work.
1: Absolutely. Today if there the was day.
0: a Mount Rushmore of new age solventless guys, I call it new age because people will be like, well, in Afghanistan, they've been doing, you know, but the real new age, the wave that started the rosin and the bubble hash wave, you're on that Mount Rushmore in, I mean, the first Denver cannabis cup, people were just getting excited about this thing called BHO. Look what it's doing. This is the first year that BHO was really starting to like, look what people are doing with it. This dude was like, no, this is the wave. And he had solventless that looked like the prettiest BHO, you, you know, to where people were like, oh, what? I had a lot of naysayers, a lot
2: of haters yes. back then. And I mean, I still do today, but back then it was like, every scientist was like, "Water is a solvent. And I was like, yeah, it is. I never disagreed. I was like, but I always had this explanation, you know, that I've like repeated over and over again. Yes, water is a solvent. Um, it's the universal solvent, but the way in which we utilize water is merely a vessel to carry these mechanically separated trichome heads to their destination. And that was like, you know, what we pushed out there. And I still had a lot of people being like, no, what are you doing? Like, you know, BHO is the way. And some of the biggest rosin companies out right now were some of those cats that were like, no way, BHO is king. And now, you know, it, it's cool to see the tides turn and uh the community really standing up for solventless it's a it's a community now it's not just a, a term that i coined it's it's a, a movement
1: yeah it's definitely i mean bho is a thing of the past it's it's crazy, crazy to hear that quick it came and quick it left i
2: think that there's still a place you know even coming from the solventless guy i think that there's still a place i don't know for utilizing hard hydrocarbons um there's certain cultivars that I want the essence from, or I want something from that cultivar and it's just not going to wash.
1: So I think there is a small place still for BHO. This this guy's always saying, bring BHO back.
0: I do say that because <laughs> Skittles BHO was some of the tastiest stuff I've had. Now OG. let's talk OGs. That was literally- Now there's certain- You know,
2: breeders now breeding that are still retaining that OG terp and it's actually washing. Crosses. Yeah. Um, and there's every once in a while you get a clone only OG that actually some stress happens. There's some variable that happens and it washes that that one time. Or I watched my boy Rackham's, you know, wash a skywalker and I was all like all in his DMs, like, bro, did it? Act, was it real Skywalker? Because like that yield looks big, like the color looks amazing. It don't look like any of my clone only OGs. And when I wash them, um, but you know, I still will wash my SFV. Um, I'll still wash some of those OGs, even though it's going to be a small yield and it's going to have this thicker waxy content, wax to oil ratio. It might not look as good. It's what I want to smoke. You know, even if it's sub one percent, I'm still going to wash
0: it because it's, it's what I want to smoke. That's tough, it, it, but this you remember going to like chalice or some of these old festivals right and every single booth had the strains they were running right if it was a a, and then they would have bho selections of live resin or trim run whatever it was right but from those so you would have access to a hundred different strains at that time of that will never with rosin it's offshoots of the same strains or mixing two different strains to create something new it's it just sucks that they can't be parallel Two different industries moving forward in their own directions. It's like one or the other for a lot of people.
2: For a lot of people. um, Yeah. And I think a lot of the proponents of solving this are like, fuck BHO, you know? Um, I've never really been like that. In the very beginning, I was like trying to push people or sway people in this direction, but I was never one of those guys to say like, you know, Fuck this
0: shit so um i was always like "Eh, you'll you'll see one day it is the truth it really is like solventless aka rosin or or even ice wax is absolutely a a cleaner product and a, a different type of effect everything but we don't have to dive too heady i you are one of the original guys in the u.s in my opinion people look at you as that you've led this industry you teach classes on it you've done extractions in multiple countries i mean there's very few people that have these accolades you know, and I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Um, you know, some days
2: I feel like I'm still, you know, working really, really hard to get somewhere. And, um, you know, when people say things like this, I'm like, oh, maybe I've done a few things in this world. Um, but I'm just blessed to still be here. You know, that's my main thing. That's what keeps motivating me. I'm still doing what I love each and every day. You know, there's ups and downs in this industry, there's a lot of hurdles, but still, somehow, some way, I'm still doing what I love
1: take it all the way back, you know, where'd you, where, where are you coming from? And you know, what was life like in the beginning days for you? I grew up in uh, the Bay area, California, and uh,
2: I am blessed to say that I grew up in a family that was very supportive of any direction that I chose to take life. Um, And I happened to grow up in a place that cannabis was really prevalent and accepted, not only in my family, but in my surroundings. Um, So I think that that's a, a big reason that i'm here today is because i had that family support and i grew up in a place that it was accepted a lot of my friends that have tried to get into the industry they didn't have that you know easy cannabis upbringing if you will it was always devil's lettuce or whatever it may be um and i've seen reefer madness and it's been around me but it's never been in my family which i'm blessed to say you know that's i feel like a support system a lot of people don't have and uh that's pushed me and allowed me to do what i want to do um so yeah i grew up in the bay area and uh i grew up you know, as a teenager finding hash and loving the difference and, and the combination of putting some bubble hash on top of flowers. I think that was like one of the first ways that I utilized it as a Northern California kid is just finding bubble hash. I didn't make it yet. I was able to purchase it put it on top and watching that bubble and finding stuff that was more melty. And eventually I started getting involved in the forums, the full dot bubble.com. And I think even before full bubble, there was another, you know, hash specific forum. This is pre social media, I'd say. Um, and I got really, really involved in those forums and studying, you know, what people are doing till eventually I got to play um, being in Northern California. I had uncles, if you will um, up in Mendocino that I got to, I first watched a buddy Armando bring down hash from Humboldt and Mendocino. I'm like, how is this guy bringing so much of this stuff that I'm buying per gram from him? Like what's happening here? I got to figure this one out. I'm spending a lot of money on this, seeing this guy bring down a bunch. Sometimes he was pulling it out of a shoe. I remember the shoe cure and all kinds of things to remove the moisture um but back then you know later we realized we were just pressing water into this product might have been growing some other mold microbials that are not accepted in today's industry but uh, we all started somewhere
1: yeah yeah that's the beginning days everybody's the guinea pig not knowing what the hell's yeah no i'll be honest i definitely uh the hot dab era just yeah, like, man, try
0: this <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> rough but that's man what a place to be you know and what a time to be you know in it you know what were the starting years and the starting points for you to go from um just buying some you know bubble to then being like man i might be able to do this for a career or uh, you know my life's work may be this
2: i think it happened like late 90s um i was hanging out with a crew i had probably right around that time uh late 90s early 2000 maybe i had stopped doing the high school thing i started going to junior college yeah it was late 90s started going to junior college instead of high school so a lot of my friend group was a little bit older than me and uh you know school breaks and uh maybe even before that middle school era i think i remember hanging out in san rafael california and finding a smoke spot a cut you know to just go smoke on the hill with friends um yeah i think that's that's when that happened around late 90s early 2000s is when things really started for me that's the beginning of the boom
0: yeah especially especially when it comes to hash coming down too from mendo yeah There were definitely
2: people that came before me for sure. There was, you know, people were making hash in Mendo and I'm sure, you know, I always talk about how, you know, I, I coined the term solventless and stuff, but people have been doing what I've done, even controlling the variables I've controlled for well before me. They just weren't talking about it online. So I don't think that I started anything or created anything really even fresh frozen i think i was one of the first people to put that out there like hey you should freeze this material because i went through the steps I, I ran live material somebody threatened me was like you don't make good hash i run live hash and I clicked I was like, mm, maybe i'll play um and i had the access because we had one of the first licensed labs in the united states To play. And so eventually we got to freezing that material, but I'm sure there was some farmer in Mendo that was taking down his entire harvest and freezing it because he couldn't sell it or because he didn't, he wanted to stretch it out the entire year. There was another reason that he, you know, froze that harvest and then eventually washed it. And I'm sure fresh frozen existed well before me. Um, but I put it out there and I hit at a time where social media was, Just starting. And right when all my friends were on MySpace, I was against it. I was like, you guys suck. I'm skateboarding. You know, I'm outside. What are you guys doing on your computers? I was fully against it. And it wasn't until I really started DJing and then I saw the value of social media. It was not even about the hash. DJing gave me the value um, or showed me the value. I was like, wait, I don't have to just flyer everyone on the streets by hand. I can now make a post and reach another, you know, thousand to ten thousand people whoa this is something and if this is a free service i'm taking advantage and that's you know that started a lot is just the ability to talk about this stuff um because like i said i'm sure there were a lot of people doing similar things that just didn't talk about it and i felt bold um especially right when i moved out to colorado to really operate california was kind of against promotion of medical marijuana um it was hard you you couldn't have the billboards like you started to see once the industry really erupted in colorado like they went full-fledged and i was like oh i can talk about this i hopped on podcasts i started preaching like yo i'm on all the forums
0: damn bro you got a dab everywhere we go it's discreet it's portable
1: nobody knows drdabber.com use the code get your access now um
2: adam duns yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i did a lot of stuff with adam yeah. um yeah i did a lot of stuff with adam back in the day you days. were early
0: on with i was djing all the Dabber. hood lab events
2: and stuff and
0: yeah. you were at booths talking about solventless yeah there yeah. were very few people people i knew guys back then that wouldn't even stand at the booth I swear to God, I knew guys that were like, yeah, that's our booth. And they wouldn't go to the booth because they were like, yeah, people are taking photos and shit. Oh, we bring in reggae
2: artists from Jamaica, set up a sound system. We did it big. And it's actually, it's now that i go to events not having a booth in the beginning i was stoked i was like oh i don't have to set up i don't have to i'm just here to dj or i'm just here to host the event or judge the cup um and now i'm starting to see these booths i'm like man i miss those days i mean every year we would like make a cool custom banner and stuff for you know our sound system and for the booth and every night you know we'd take down everything but we wouldn't take down our banners we come back in the morning for the high times cup banner was stolen which to me was like a proud moment. It sucked when it happened, but it was always like, yeah, we're doing something big. People want to jack that only, only that. They just wanted that, that custom fucking banner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So going to these events now and seeing the homies sit still doing the boost. I miss it. I miss yeah setting up and having the crew, you know, hustle, flying everyone out. And yeah, it was a lot. It
0: was a lot, but how did um, the shift from going from to the Bay to Colorado when that happened? And, and why?
2: Um, So growing up in the Bay area, I always, you know, from, I guess the late nineties on, I always, uh, worked in cannabis, um, driving up to Mendo, bringing things back down to the Bay. And, uh, eventually I had some pressure, some, uh, some, yeah, some bigger pressure, and I was told that I couldn't do what I wanted to do in California under 215. I was really loud. Um, and they were like, go back to Colorado. I'd actually already gone out to Colorado for college, come back to the Bay, was DJing in the Bay Area, and then set something up in Oakland and got some attention. And were like, don't do this here. And so I was like, oh, okay. And pretty much instantly, like... Uh, it was around the same time I had a kid and struggling financially in the Bay and Oregon. And I had a good friend, a friend from college who we had helped out. And he's like, Hey, I'm opening up one of the first dispensaries in Colorado. I need your help. I had already operated a little bit under 215, uh, working with the vapor room. And there were a lot of cool uh, similarities synergies between the cannabis industry and the music industry so the same security that was working club six in the mission district in san francisco was the security at the vapor room so i got in real close with them because i was already doing flyers and djing and promoting events at club six and i pop over the dispenser to get my weed and same security so eventually i started bringing hash and products into places like the vapor room um but i didn't feel that protected and then i was shown that i was not protected at all um, under 215 in reality for me in my case um and so i went back out to colorado and i started working at a dispensary in the vale valley which at that point in time there was no real regulation um it was pre 2010 regulations it was like 2008 2009 that i like came back to colorado to open up the shop it was in a an office building you know barely like a lock on the door type of vibe every night we would take the medicine back to our property basically and lock it up in the saves every morning we'd bring it back to the shop it was very cowboy um but i feel like i helped that shop along because i had the experience from california and so i was able to implement some more security measures and just bring in some of that knowledge and uh bring in a lot of my connections as well i think that was the biggest asset because i was already selling weed all throughout college so i had farmers throughout the entire state of colorado and that was while we the pre-metric and we could bring in products from anywhere so i had the farmers just bringing by boxes like every single day into my dispensary where i felt protected and i was not only selling it on my shelf but then i was hitting the other shops not only in the valley I, i tried to not hit the shops in the valley as much and i'd go down to denver and i'd hit like the green mile shops on broadway and that was like my income for a long time was duffel bag boy with a knife on my side like just with packs and hash and eventually like there was a lot of um like armenian and middle eastern cats that were operating the dispensaries on the green mile that kind of came from the la market um and operated in colorado and they, they wanted hash and they didn't see a lot of hash. And I was that guy. I was bringing in pounds of hash, which most people were getting like seven grams of bubble hash out of their bags. I was having the Nor- NorCal connections and Colorado connections combined. I was able to move a lot of hash. So I think that's really how Essential Extracts started. it's how it was funded. Um, and I paid for it.
0: Um, you know, I got Fails back, a crazy I got back place text. To have a dispensary? Yeah. Was it mostly locals? Um yeah, yeah, right, mostly locals. For ski season. Yeah, yeah,
2: and then you'd see uh, you know, the locals definitely fed us, but then you'd see cats coming in from the ski season and um it was hard though cuz right in the beginning of those medical days you had to be a resident, you know, so you couldn't serve a ton of the tourists. So those tourists had to have a buddy, you know, like old school like pre-age liquor store, you know handbags i never saw it those you know, were the good it days up uh, out, and uh outside of the camera but. the
0: grower would literally come to the dispensary and be like hey i have super silver haze oh I yeah grew. i had this back
2: office and stuff and i was like the buyer i was the you know retail distributor as well as you know wholesale distributor and uh yeah those were fun days i still talked to a lot of those farmers some of them have passed unfortunately um but i still talked to a lot of those farmers from back then um yeah Some of them are still in the industry. Some of them gone other ways. It's a tough one.
0: This industry, yeah, especially over time, it's evolved really quickly. Just like we talk about, a thousand miles an hour. What What so you're out tasty as fuck? Yeah. What do you? Would you roll up? I can't even remember. The UK cheese is one everyone's after. I see that out there.
2: That's people started talking about it. Um, Yeah, our uh, manager homie gates keeper i don't know what to call joey but joey brought that
0: cut in (laughs) everyone's trying to breed with it now the uk uh, same with the ogs yeah colorado's a time capsule man like some of the stuff that's hovered out there and that's still procured from out there and ogs growing out there still have some of the cuts that like a lot of the grower it's there's a disconnect between california and colorado a lot of people out here the strains i hear that they want or what they're looking for i'm like yeah that's they got that out there. That's two yeah, states. No, away. no, no. It's trippy. Yeah. You see different trends in Colorado
2: than you see yeah. you know, elsewhere. Trends catch on differently. Um,
1: we gotta talking about crunch, bud. Well, where so where does it you're you're in Vale operating and then you're backpacking uh you know all the Denver shops and stuff like that. Where does it go from there? Cause I know that Colorado really saw like the the spike you know, and like just even tourism and people wanting to know what is going on out here. This is crazy, you know, and they definitely, uh, have led the charge for that. Um, and then I feel like it's subsided, especially lately. Um, you don't hear about it as much as, as as all anymore. Um, and it's like you guys say, it's two different, very different scenes, but you've stayed out there. So I find it interesting. So,
2: yeah. And, um, you know, one thing you, you've mentioned, always kind of uh, brings me to the point of talking about emerging markets i feel like you should be if you're trying to you know stay with the current situation you know as a consultant as somebody who wants to work as an mso or whatever it may be um you have to look at these situations as as emerging markets and and as a place legalizes or provides regulation that market's going to hit for a couple years and so that's kind of what i've been on so Colorado is a unique one though, because I still own a house out there. I really thought that Colorado was going to be like my home base for a bit. I eventually, you know, started with essential extracts, but eventually became an owner of a dispensary and a cultivation. And I had like part of uh, a full vertical. And I thought like, Hey, I'm bringing in my Jamaican friends and on the facility in Denver. And I was like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. And you know, I uh, eventually got screwed out of a situation and I was like, Oh, own a house here but now it's actually it's really nice um the house and and i've done a ton of consulting in colorado i've launched over 20 brands i feel like out of colorado alone um and it wasn't competition to me it was just producing and, and promoting more education of solventless so we've always i've always my brand has always done fine on the shelves of people that i've taught but um markets get saturated and so for me i'm i've been on this emerging market trend um colorado is now just a beautiful place where i have a hot tub and i get to go relax i'm rarely there um but i built uh, a nice home something that's comfortable for me what area hang out and hide in near red rocks nice yeah Oh, yeah. So my backyard's hiking trails, open space. It's still 20 minutes to downtown Denver, but a little bit in the foothills. And for me, that's perfect.
0: Just a little getaway. It's a great area, Morrison and shit. Yeah. That's like, when you live in Denver, you're like, I want to graduate to this.
2: But I feel like (laughs) when states started regulating, that's when you had to hop on that emerging market trend. And colorado was one of the first states to start regulating so it was hot for two years maybe four maybe a little longer but then eventually big money comes in and uh big money kind of uh kills all the passion you know it wipes out a lot of those craft operators that were in it because they loved it and that goes away and that sucks and that's when you move on that's when i've moved on
0: like point break it's like chasing the endless wave of like passion (laughs) where'd you go from there um from colorado around
2: 2015 when they went recreational i was already starting to look at Operations in California because now California is starting to talk about going recreational as well. Once Colorado did, so I was like, okay, that could be a nice tra- transition. Get back to my roots in California. So the reason I went out to Colorado, back to Colorado, is because I was told it was going to be safer for me to operate and do what I wanted to do. But I'm a Bay Area kid, and I wanted to come back. And so I saw that transition happening. Eventually, you know, moved on from the Colorado situation forcefully but i had already had my feet on the ground in california and i started to build out in richmond and uh you know not everything works in this industry and i think a big lesson that i've learned and that i want to teach is being you know flexible and having the ability to pivot so unfortunately the richmond thing didn't work out but i was already starting as i felt an energy i was already starting to build a facility in missouri Fortunately, I got the rug pulled from me in Missouri, you know, and it just kept kind of happening like that, where I design an entire facility from the ground up and people would take advantage of me. Um, I am uh, a giver and I'm constantly just wanting to teach everyone. I don't really have a filter. Um, I'm blessed to have uh, a manager and a business uh, advisor, if you will, now that helps me close my mouth a little bit. Um, but I'm still just out here to teach. I just want to spread this knowledge. So it's hard. I get taken advantage of a lot. And that's really the newest pivot where I'm at today is I'm a teacher. I don't have to deal with licensing deals as much. I'm not reliant on my brand's money. Although I did take back hundred percent of my brand out of the, you know, situation in Colorado, I own 100% of it. I've licensed the entity from Colorado to the different, you know, States. We're still operational, um, in California right now. And, uh, I'm always working on new plays. So we got a license in New Jersey. I've got my name on a license application in Florida, which to me is kind of crazy. Um, Florida came in with big guns, like blazing from day one. So I was like, ah, I don't even really want to touch that state. seems like I'm just a small grassroots guy, but eventually somebody needed some services on an application and I helped out. And so, um, There's always new opportunities for me, which I'm blessed to have, you know, a line in the water at all times, but my focus has been education. Um, So that's kind of where I've been moving as far as the future goes.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, he's been teaching from the very beginning. That's how I found you. I listened to like a three hour podcast and told a (laughs) hundred people about it. And it was you explaining how to do extraction. And I don't even remember what podcast and it was, just a flat screen and then i would scroll and i i had marked the timestamps and was showing my mentor like listen to what he says right here crazy because we were trying to figure it out like the stuff that was some of the hash that was on cam shelf was stuff that we had learned from you that we were putting in motion and this is early on Yeah, yeah, yeah and so just to give people reference like Respect. There was nothing on Cam. YouTube. There was nothing. It was like, beat this against a rug. And this is what they do in Afghanistan and India. And it's like, yeah, but that's not what we do. Like people are really coveting, you know, their, the information
2: back then. And this, even I'd say pre MySpace, none of this was out there pre pre forums. It wasn't talked about because um, you could get into a lot of trouble. And that's why in 2000, you know, one to two thousand four, somewhere in there. I traveled to Amsterdam initially because they were making hash. And I was like, somebody's gonna talk to me out there. Nobody was talking. So really, you know, big up Mila for spreading some of the oral tradition. This is before she wrote her book, before all of this. Um I learned from Mila's oral tradition to hone in my skills. I was already making water hash, um, like I mentioned, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, but I went to Amsterdam to really hone in on my skills and learn from the best and Mila was the best.
0: Man,
1: I'm sick of spending so much time going to the store, having to make all these runs and load all
0: this shit up. Yo, what are you doing here? Tash making day. I'm always at Grow Generation. If you don't want to have to always go into the store, it's super easy. They deliver 60 plus stores nationwide, delivery right to your doorstep and discreet. GrowGeneration.com. Use the code, tell them the family sent you, and get hooked up. It was back then, it was like two places that were doing it, and it was Amsterdam and Canada. And you would hear little things yeah. coming out of Canada and you'd be able to buy some equipment and a fake name. You know, all kinds <laughs> of shit. But because we couldn't get stuff from Amsterdam, it wouldn't make it we would buy stuff and it'd be like, never showed up. But Canada, it would show up like bubble machines, things like that. But yeah, it's just, you were very big early on and you've stayed steady. And it's just cool to see now the times come all the way back around to see how big rosin is now it's, it's flower. And then rosin probably is the two largest markets, you know,
2: it looks like that to us. And I appreciate that. That's how it feels even to me, but we still have to realize that, you know, flowers King, um but when it comes to concentrates distillate is still running our market it's still like over 60 i think it's probably close to 80 percent of the concentrate market in the big picture Hot dog at, water. but but <laughs> i'd say solventless started at less than one percent of the concentrate market when we like released it and now we're encroaching like 18 20 percent is what i'm hearing as far as the numbers and looking on the uh the data spreadsheets and stuff for for california specifically but um what's that app called that like gives you a little bit of the numbers rundown I always forget the name of it, but there's like a, you know, website and an app associated. Okay. Um, I try and keep up on it, but yeah, distillate's it's still fucking crushing. Yeah.
0: That's wild. And that's yeah. what you we see. We don't think about it. It's not what we markets. smoke. No.
2: But it's still the biggest you well, know, it's it's like selling you product. You might not flour. see it. It might be in all the edibles
1: and the topicals and, you know, mm-hmm. other things. But even if you think about the flower market, low quality is still way more of that being sold than high quality. know, none of us that's see that thing. quality. And, you know, that's not what we're smoking. Yeah it's but, it is interesting same thing though if yeah. you're looking at from a volume perspective there's no there's no comparison it's like same thing in retail right like walmart numbers compared to like louis vuitton numbers or something that volume is i'm still proud to go from one percent to 18 or 20 yes. you
2: know, yeah. percent it's big like yeah and it's growing and that all stems from education yes exactly and that's where i feel like there wasn't competition for me you know i wanted to teach Everyone, you know, in the very beginning, I was like, uh oh, you know, and I was a little hesitant. And then eventually I was like, oh no, I actually want to teach everyone because the more people I teach, the more that they're going to spread my teachings or or the teachings they weren't my teachings but um the things that i learned along my way i wanted to spread that so that they can continue spreading it and that's why we were able to get into these random dispensaries in the middle of the mountains and stuff like i wasn't actually traveling up there and hitting these shops but i now had Um, what was, uh, what was that shop? It was this one shop in the middle of nowhere that was just, you know, sending us fresh frozen and selling out of all of our products. I'm like, how do they hear of us? And it was like one of the companies that I trained was putting product on the shelf. And he basically was like, Oh, well, nicotine central extracts is who put me on. And that's what the bud tenders and that's what the owner was promoting. Like, Hey, here, here's this product. And then here's the guy that taught them, you know, and yeah it it always did all right for us
0: you always hold a place in your heart for someone you've learned something that changed your life right if something came into your life and uh, made it better you'll never forget that person that brought that in right you have to even if your relationship changed with them they're always have that place of like well yeah i wouldn't know this though without them or i wouldn't have been exposed to this yeah it's interesting right like you teaching someone and they're like dude this guy gave me a golden ticket In my life to go where I want with it.
2: Even for me, you know, like going back to the fresh frozen conversation, I had one of my biggest, one of the biggest haters in my career was on my MySpace, was on my Facebook. Um, Anytime I would make a post, he'd be commenting, You don't make good product. And really what it stemmed from is this guy thought I was making butane. He was like a big butane hater. And I'd post something. And he thought it was butane. He thought I was like lying to people, you know. He was like, "What is this solventless stuff?" And you're just making butane and calling it something else, right? He thought I was one of those guys. And uh, so every day, I had this guy Joseph Pietri. I'm going to put him on blast. <laughs> he also uh, is known as the King of Nepal. So this was like an early on, um, uh, smuggler, hash smuggler, is I think where he got his claim to fame. But he was also very vocal i'm gonna just say that he was on a lot of people's radars because he was loud and constant and anytime i posted anything he was on my page hating but one of the things that he said was you don't make hash i make live hash and that's what got me to make you know live material that's what taught me eventually to freeze that material to you know achieve more stability um so yeah you know i gotta give it up to the haters for teaching me something that i've you know to this day i always think of joseph pietra even though he was my biggest hater he put me on you know so big up Joseph Pietro. You can you can flip the switch sometimes.
0: It's what Patrick Bet David talks about. Choose your enemies wisely. He just dropped a book. And that's literally the gist of part of the audio book is that when you have a, a specific enemy that actually drives you, that's a good enemy. That's a good, that's a, the motivating enemy. And you need those throughout your life. And he gives five things that the highly effective people have in their life. And that's one of them utilize, is a motivating utilize, factor yeah. from a naysayer. I thought that was an interesting point of it that, yeah, that's, they'll ring your bell. Yeah. There's, they're still on Instagram. That's a big thing on Instagram. You'll see about four or five names that are on everyone's shit list because they always have something to say about what someone else is doing. It's, it's a tough one. Yeah.
2: There's, there's a, a fine line, you know, sometimes those naysayers can still, you know, argue, forever but they have a certain respect about it and i and i i fuck with them you know i want to have those conversations in reality that teaches me something there's some people that are just rude and then they
1: go a different route and become racist or something else you know and we don't really need them but yeah there's no value to be extracted they're just talking to talk with you talking about how your journey started unfolding you said basically in most situations that you were getting burned How did you keep going in those times? And where did that lead you? Because I know that this is working to be something more of a a global thing that you do. um, Because you definitely are a world traveler as an educator now. And, you know, definitely we see emerging markets in the US, but like nothing like global right now where it seems as if they. They've been far behind, but they're 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 starting to do their catching up you're starting to see more things evolve, and you're starting to see like crazy places that you would have never thought there would be a weed scene or like any sort of legalization happening, yeah, like Guam going recreational in two thousand and nineteen. I had never heard about
2: Guam. it was not on my radar at all, and all of a sudden somebody's flying me out to Guam to judge a cup, and I was impressed by this little tourist island, little military island, part military part, I guess, used to be what? tourist. <laughs> no, no. It's just a almost, this is after Corona. So it was almost like a deserted island. It felt like to me, the, a lot of the tourism market got crushed by COVID. And uh, there was a military presence there. Cause I guess, you know, it holds a bunch of bases and stuff. So you feel a little bit of that, but that's kind of gone. So it's it felt very much like a deserted island with fire. Um, you just, said indoor, yeah, growing indoor, it's indoor people. legal. You know, it's 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 recreational, but they haven't passed. A lot of regulations if any yet um and it passed recreational law in 2019 so it kind of freed things up it's a cool place maybe i'm really not trying to put it on on, you know trying to blow it up because i want to go back to like walking on these deserted white sand beaches judging you know joint after joint walking along the beach only seeing one fisherman and stuff um, it was pretty glorious, but the actual question you asked
1: was what, sorry, I got a little distracted by Guam thoughts. Oh, just, uh, you know, when did it evolve for you from, you know, you said you try to go back to Cali, then you said you try to go to Missouri and then now you're, you know, you have something going in Jersey and a few other places stateside. Um, when did it evolve for you to start going to educating globally or judging things globally? Cause I feel like you've been doing it for quite some time now.
2: I've always tried to have a global presence. I feel like since day one, combining being a DJ and, you know, starting a hash brand around the same time, I wanted to do road. I wanted to perform, Um, you know, so I've always been a traveler. After Colorado, I definitely got hit emotionally. I felt beaten down to be completely honest i'm like i've done everything right i invested all my own money i don't have any investors and i still got you know screwed over um i felt like i had done things right and still things just didn't work and so i definitely had a a phase where i'm like what do i want to do but i think having that phase and being a creative allowed me to have a fresh slate and think about something differently because in this day and age, you have one creative thought you shake one hand and it can change your life. Um, And I kept thinking about that. Like, I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to go down this route of hating these people in Colorado and, and I have to move on. I have to move forward. I have to think bigger. I'm bigger than this, you know? And uh, that I guess opened up my mind to, being like, well, I've done well teaching. I've done well teaching other brands to do what I do. Why don't I make that the next mission and just really focus on the educational side? So I created a consulting company and I started consulting for a bunch of uh, private Companies, um, some that already had a brand, some that had no brand that just got a license, anything and everything in between in all the states that were going legal. So, like around the same time that, you know, Colorado went recreational, you know, sequentially, you just seen all the other states hit. And I was blessed to have one of those first licensed facilities in Colorado. And so I was on a lot of people's radar as the guy that started that movement. So people were hitting me up being like, Hey, can you teach me? And so we created a little bit more of a professional consulting platform, uh, where solving this was really the helm, but we had a lot of people. I had a lot of people, um, in my rolodex so if we were helping an mso that needed help with the cultivation we would also bring in you know some cultivation help because it really it all starts there Um, especially for solventless you've got an entire grow and you're growing all these old school cultivars that don't wash um we have to change some things from the start you know from that cultivation no matter what i teach you in the lab is not gonna help if you're not running the right strains
0: Um, This is after you've already won though, a bunch of awards. Yeah. So we had had a nice resume. I had a nice resume. You had a company that was in multiple shelves all through Colorado. You had your hash, like people knew essential extracts. Yeah. We went from 75 shops, you
2: know, when it was just me and I had a little bit of a, you know, funding boost when we brought on some partners that eventually didn't end up working out. But that little bit of a funding boost allowed me to just charge and do what I was good at, which was making hash and selling hash. So I made a bunch we were filling up freezers of stuff just knowing that i was about to do road and like hitting all these shops and doing what i used to do with the duffel bag so i was excited really i went from 75 shops to 200 plus shops in six months and uh we
0: definitely saturated colorado's market and i mean a lot of shops you would go in you guys were the hash on the shelf at that time there wasn't i remember going especially mountain town shops they did they didn't yeah. have this like oh 50 different kinds of hash it and was like- i lived up there you know and I, I
2: snowboarded up there so i feel like i made a little you know presence plus i dj'd a few little things at the little mexican restaurants and stuff i was trying to get in my my music stuff but Vale was such a small town that's actually what eventually brought me down to denver is i was like shit. i've, I've you know exhausted the venues I've exhausted the people that want to come see me play reggae music. Cause it was really only reggae music for me back then. Now I'm a lot more eclectic. I'll play hip hop. I'll play house music. I play soul funk. I'm a piano, Afrobeat, everything. I play a little everything these days back then, like little town just playing reggae seven inch records. And you know, only, you only have so
0: many, it's, it gets old quick. Yeah, yeah there's I like was venues that. yeah i, was I saw e-mouse uh, out there i've seen slightly stupid out there uh there's literally like two venues and i think they shut one down because the floor used to bounce <laughs> I think you and i went to a concert there one time and you could feel the floor bouncing they're like yeah there's tires underneath it and i never knew if i believed that i was like i think it's just falling apart if you're not happy with your current nutrient company or you're not happy with how your products or flour is coming out try drip hydro all you gotta do is go to fsotd.com get the discount code and driphydro.com or grow generation stores nationwide online or in store we get you hooked up you gotta try drip hydro everybody's switching to drip drip and whether you want to come in store or you need a drop straight to your
1: facility grow generation can help you out there tell them the first smoke family sent you and get on drip hydro now
0: so you get down to denver though and you got spots like cervantes masterpiece theater you got reggae artists being flown in by jacob of cam at that time yeah oh, i'm deep in the scene yeah in bro and yeah yeah, and yeah. jacob was family g- people that have never been out of jamaica like he's bringing in artists where he he used to say like this is the dude's first time performing it's like what yeah no jacob the actually was, was blown, another bro. mentor in that world you
2: know because eventually i started throwing my own shows as well where i bring in gappy ranks i think i was the first person to bring a, a uk reggae artist uh gappy ranks to colorado lost a lot of money (laughs) 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 and and then then the next year my boy cleon threw the same show and crushed it because Uh, you know we built that
1: you know people were familiar first guy
0: through the door always gets hit (laughs) it's tough
1: breaking new new stuff but i've thrown events since then
2: you know since uh 2007 i think i've been throwing my own
0: production and it's fun to get back into it i took a hiatus all the grows are down in Denver, though it makes sense that you'd be down there because it's industrial It's warehouses it popped off industrial wise We had grows in all throughout the valley, but when regulation
2: came into play, there was always something that shut it down. It was either too close to a school or too close to you know a certain uh, zone you know it may may have just been you know uh, a certain zone that just didn't, didn't allow cannabis when those new regulations came
1: into play um, so a lot of those mountain grows gone what do you think about the state of the market in colorado right now and the culture i think the like, things that we're talking about like right now do you is there any more of that still happening yeah there's still i'm seeing limited release drops which i think help bring
2: craft alive you know even with somebody who might not be a licensed entity you can do a licensing deal and it's all in how you similar to the california portray the deal too because i think california didn't want you to do licensing deals you have to like you know be on the license and yeah, yeah there's 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 always ways though um
0: to get your brand known by the people there's always some way Colorado's still in my opinion one of the top hash markets the flower it's a lot tougher but hash they have a good stranglehold on some phenomenal hash companies still yeah i think it birthed it and there's still passion there yeah i'm a big fan of laser cat i do like what they do there's a few dab logic puts out some real fire you guys are the ogs though just to fast forward you talked about partnerships going bad and this is something that is prevalent in our industry from the birth what would be any advice you'd give to someone entering a licensing agreement or a partnership now that you've been through multiple and seen them go good and bad? Trust your gut.
2: First and foremost, work with the people that you see eye to eye with, that you see yourself being friends with for the next 20, 30 years. Um, if, you, if there's any inkling that you're not going to get along with that guy or there's anything that you guys aren't going to see eye to eye on, it's probably not going to work out. Um, you know, looking back, there was always this one little inkling or something. This one guy said, you know, one of the investors or whatever it may be. And I'm like, Ooh, that's, that doesn't sit well with me. that's not how my family raised me or whatever it may be. I hear that one little thing. And I'm like, Oh, Now I look at it like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't sign with that guy or, you know, glad that person's not part of this group, if, if you will. So for me, the best advice I can give is, is this is a marriage. This is, you know, don't go into it thinking anything less. Um, think about the people that you're working with. Don't think about the deal. Fuck the contract. Contracts are always broken, especially in our industry, man. This is a, federally illegal plant so even if you have the most solid contract somebody's gonna figure out
1: how to break it so don't look at the paper look at the people that's that's my advice some realize advice right there and that's for any business just a heads up like in and outside of cannabis um your gut's never gonna lie it's instinct for a reason to go back real quick though on why colorado's still making
2: good hash i want to Throw it back to like, historically, you look at terroir and historically you see mountainous regions or regions that have those cold extremes, those cold, dry extremes. Generally speaking, that's where hash came from. You know, Morocco and Nepal up in the mountains, whereas you get down more towards the equator, more equatorial regions, you start seeing more flower producing regions. So for me, Colorado has a very similar dry, cold environment as, you know, Morocco in the right season or in some of these other hash producing countries. I think Colorado will always be a hash producing region because of the terroir.
1: That's an interesting take very interesting. that makes great sense going back to the colorado crispy you know co-
2: flowers are going to be really hard to cure properly in colorado compared to california where the weather is very constant throughout the year um you know you get like that beautiful 60 40 indoors pretty consistently out here um and uh, Colorado, not as much. My basement stays 15 degree, or 15% or fifteen RH if I don't have a humidifier in there. And that's natural, which is great for hash, not so great for flowers. So I think I just like to throw it back to history and terroir as to why Colorado is still producing really good hash, but doesn't always do the best with the flowers. You saw some of the UK cheese, though. This is a batch from six months
1: ago. It's still got a little squish to it, right? Oh, yeah. That's why I asked you. Because it's not... Because I'm from Cali. Exactly. Yeah. And I've just managed to... You got to put a lot of
2: implementation though to make it Yeah. We have an environment that very much mimics California and Colorado that stays like that year round. I pay Shit, for it. I can, pay for the power. You make bill. a lot just it is right what it is. out there. Yeah.
1: It is what it is. Yeah, it's crazy. That's yeah. I, I, would, I would burping right. That. You know, cause, Cure your weed like Californians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the hateful you know, it's, comments would oh. be. It's,
2: it's, it's kind of what I teach in Gondier, You know, even though I'm a Colorado guy, but I'm you know no, also have the property pie. up in Humboldt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk about Colorado crispy. We also talk if you jar stuff too early. You know because that happens th- all throughout california or what we see you know in the debt market or the full sun market is they're pulling down so much they're putting them in totes and they might close that tote a little early that first time you close the tote early there's mold microbial growth that you might not see but i smell it you can taste it in the weed yeah, too. And sometimes you even you know can feel it mm-hmm. trap moisture so we see a lot of that in
0: california and we see a lot of the other side in, in colorado when you start traveling for hash and teaching, where are some of the first places you go? Because you've been all over, man. I see. You, I follow your Instagram heavily. I followed your career pretty closely, to be totally honest. I like, appreciate you, Lance. Yeah. Yeah, I've man. Been a the, I, I'm a fan since I'm um, a fan of
2: first smoke of the day. That's why I've been like blowing up the DMs. Like, yo, we got to make this if work. <laughs>
0: you're a leader in your niche in this business. I'm a fan of you because I learn from watching. I'm not a big. I was never a big. Like, well, here's 17 pages of how this person makes hash. Yeah, I would read it. Read it yeah. <laughs> i need the braille version uh but no but when you did that podcast that changed everything and then the first time i saw youtube put up someone blowing bho and i'm like wow on a windowsill and i'm like what the fuck is this uh you you're a leader in this market and you continue to be because a lot of people once they get the their niche down they don't want to share the knowledge that's in that's in cultivate that's almost in any type of business i felt that way in the beginning you know i definitely wanted to hoard
2: it like for the first couple of weeks Literally Didn't make money off of it. Yeah. Well, you know, it was more like, I felt like I was doing something different. You know, I had so many haters that I was like, Oh, like maybe I should like keep this to myself. Like these people don't even know. Um, so it was, a, there was a bit there and, you know, I think it was around the same time that Matt rise was, you know, coming on the scene and, and he was teaching, he was talking about things openly and, um, I was, you know, I was along a similar path, but I was doing things a little bit differently. I had studied under Mila, and was just a slight differences in in how we we operated. And so, I think really soon after, you know, there were starting to be some other people. I was like, oh, all right, I'll teach how I do it. Um. But there was definitely a little time there where I remember being like, I'm going to coin this word solventless and I'm going to put it out there only to Explain to my bud tenders that this is my product because that's the reason for solventless. Initially, is I had bud tenders telling me that they couldn't put my product on the shelf as bubble hash. It didn't look like the bubble hash on the shelf. I was already starting to control varos before the term solventless came to to light. Um, and the bud tenders that I was working with were like, "No, what is this?" I was like, "Oh, it's water ash." Like, "No, it's not." I was like, fuck, how are they going to sell this? If they don't know what it is, if it's hard for me to explain what it is. So initially solventless was a term that I put on my product to try and get the bud tenders to understand that it was something different and they should sell it as something different, but it wasn't bho, and it wasn't moldy, mildew smelling bubble hash, that brown pliable, black pliable stuff. It wasn't that. So we had to sell it differently. So that was really the, the first reason that naturally I I wanted to hoard it because it was different and we had to explain it to the bud tenders differently. Um, but very soon after I put it out there that this is what I'm calling solventless, you started to see other licensed entities put out their version of solventless or their version of ice wax or whatever it may be. And it happened real quick. And I was like, Oh, now I don't, only see haters. I see some people like adapting this and like, okay, maybe there is something there for what we were doing. And then I saw like a company that was almost like a rival because there was some breakup situation. I said, that I'm put solventless across the front of their hoodie. And we had already had like a solventless, you know, clothing line basically, like solventless on our gear, solventless on our hat. I was like, oh. And solventless was really just a descriptor word. So you can't protect a descriptor word, you know, as far as like IP, you can't protect solventless, but I could protect solventless wax. I could protect other things. So that was actually the first thing we tried to protect, you know, tried is the key term because very soon after, you know, that whole thing, everyone was calling their product solventless. If it looked anything similar, if they were using water, if they were just shaking bags with dry ice in it, they're calling it solventless. So it became this umbrella term just naturally. And, uh, when it became that umbrella term i started teaching from early on i was like all right we got to push it out there now yeah first
0: time i had ever heard solventless was through you It's just like the first time i ever heard all white we had was to through create
2: you. a term for what we were making that's purely what it is. And, and I owe a lot of credit to this dude, Paul token, who I think was one of the first YouTube influencers because I would bring my product to him or he would come over to my house and I'd be like, yo, what do you think of this? Put this on your YouTube channel. You got all these views, like show people what this. And so I was bringing him all this stuff and he's like, what do you call this? And I was like, I don't know. It looks like the earwax earwax was the popular term, you know, back then, or, you know, honey oil and stuff. I was like, this one looks like the honey oil. That one looks like the earwax. And Paul Token's like, call it solventless wax, you know? And that's really, yeah. I give a lot of credit to Paul Token. And then eventually I think I, Pushed the umbrella really hard as far as that term solventless to encompass dry sift to encompass water hash to just be that whole umbrella because now we started bu- seeing butane not only making the earwax consistency we started seeing shatter hit the market and so i was like well we're making solventless shatter turning up the heat making solventless shatter this is before rosin So we were still able to create those consistencies before Rosin. Rosin really opened up the envelope for us to be able to play and and really recreate anything I was seeing in the hydrocarbon world. That's always what we've done. Um, I just copy the hydrocarbon world. So that's where solventless wax, which really predates solventless as the umbrella, solventless wax is the first term to hit because um, earwax was the popular consistency. So I just watched my
0: friends making BHO and I was like, okay, that's what you guys are doing. Okay. I'm going to play on my world. How hard was it to convince the first couple guys? Like, no, you're going to chop all this weed down and freeze it live. And then we're still going to make money. I trust me. And they're like, what?
2: Still hard today. Um, But yeah, that was actually one of the biggest things. And I think why we were able to get market share when regulations came into play, because I was doing the fresh frozen thing before regulations. So when regulations came into play, I had like... a a write out basically like hey if you freeze it this is how much water weight is in your material so you're going to take your pound and it's going to turn into you know a qp or whatever if i remove the water weight and i was just able to explain to the farmers that they weren't necessarily you know I don't know. I I guess we were just able to explain to the farmers early on and prove to the farmers after that explanation, like, Hey, I had all these shops that I was already working with from that green mile days from, you know, those shop days. So I was able to move product, no problem. So most of the time I was like, listen, just give me your whole harvest. The first time, just trust me. You have to, you know, you have to trust me, give me the harvest and I'm going to pay you more than what you would get if you dried it out, cured it, and had the security issues of bringing in trimmers and trim crews. That was another big selling point for Fresh Frozen. Was I had a few selling points, um, and that's how I was able to convince people. And then eventually, the products were winning high times cups, and that pushed people to be Sweet. like, oh, fuck. All right. yeah, right. Let's freeze it. It's winning. People like that we'll do it we'll trust it but you had to prove the model you had to fresh froze your own product. i created spreadsheets yeah. basically in our in our google spreadsheet or even before google in our excel spreadsheets we had like a um a formula basically so if you gave me 2500 grams of fresh frozen material this is how much it would be if i remove the water weight so in the yield data so we would give all of our clients yield data at the bottom of our invoice and it would have a fresh frozen starting weight what a, a drop if it, if we dried it out starting weight and you'd have a fresh frozen yield and the dry yield so that the farmer could really not only understand it but bring it to their investor if they had an investor and be like hey this is the breakdown and i think we were one of the first people to create that in an invoice so all of the people that we were working with had a yield had yield data from 2000 10 you know 2010 is when i started collecting yield data um, and all of our farmers got that yield data so they were able to say oh wait the blue dream we shouldn't ever give it to nick you know we got less than one percent you know he was only able to give us this per pound on that but the chem d or whatever got six percent in fresh frozen which equated to 30 something percent i'm not doing good quick math but we were able to break it down so like they could see okay let's dry out that let's freeze that and allocation of of cultivars something that i teach and something that's stuck with me since those
1: days bios lighting is offering a trial campaign where you'll get a chance to test a unit from a
0: carefully selected list of products from bios here's a list of the products that you'll be able to choose from the endeavor 1750 led fixture or the li2 led fixture 800 watt or a lighting consultation service The requirements for this trial with BIOS is dedicated test zone for the trial. No other growing variables affected so you can get real results and a grow journal. The trial length is 100 days. You can trial BIOS lighting today. All you got to do is sign up for Grow Road and check the
1: description for the link.
2: Lots of uh, lessons have been learned for sure. And that's something that I pride myself on. I've been through a lot of these hurdles. They say, if you've been in the industry, as long as we have, we got strong legs because all we do is jump through hoops, you know, and like, I'm just blessed to still be here, man. So I teach a lot of those hard lessons that I learned.
0: That's rare. Most people keep them to themselves or they get very bitter. I know a lot of older guys that are very bitter about the industry and feel jaded about what happened in the fallout and they should be somewhere different in the ind- or i should have been one you know very much and it it kills me to see that because i'm like man these were the bright lights when i came up or these were the guys that i get those way. feelings
2: you know well, i think we all get those feelings and it, and it comes in motions and ups and downs um i just try and fight those feelings um and understand that i'm still doing what i love you know i definitely have had times in in my career where i'm like what am i doing But at the same time, I I go back to the drawing board and I think it's the pivot, really, that saved me. Um, you can't get stuck in the past. You have to constantly be thinking about the next thing, and that's what's kept me motivated. There's still a lot for me to learn, so I'm stoked. You know, I'm, I'm going to keep charging because I want to learn that next thing. We're not only seeing, you know, different ways of curing for post processing, but there's still new ways that are coming out, like cold curing and rosin's. Only it's less than half a decade old. It's like five years old for that technique now we're starting to see you know centrifuges coming into play and other tools that we can utilize to learn and so i'm excited mj bizcon i actually haven't been in six years or something but this year i went and i was able to see some cool new equipment the reason i went not only to dj but i also went to check the floor to see some of this new technology um that keeps me
0: motivated when you you've done a lot of traveling for cannabis specifically and when i say that i mean to teach to see the scene where are some of the places could you give us a couple stories or a couple cool trips that you took based around that um the plant has brought me to some
2: amazing places so i really really truly give thanks to this plant um it's a beautiful thing i've always wanted to travel the world and uh specifically recently in the last like four or five years um the plant has really brought me to some amazing places one of my favorite places right now so far i mean i've seen new places every year but right now i really like the canary islands um i've been brought out there a few times now to judge some cups tenerife yeah tenerife guys uh, sticky house Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, those are homies. Yeah. They believed in us in the very beginning. That's what's yeah. up. That's what's up. Good dudes.
2: Yeah, no, Real really, hustlers. really solid. And I've now traveled, you know, a few other destinations with those boys. And uh, yeah, yeah, solid dudes. Yeah, I like those them. Those are solid um, And they grow some fire. It's like paradise out
0: there from the videos I see.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they put me up in this beautiful villa and now I'm like good friends like the with the owner of the villa the owner's daughter and stuff and it's like a family to me now but like they put me up the first time they sent me out to Canary Islands they put me up in this villa and like I'm sitting in this infinity pool with a slew of things to judge and it's high quality things there's a few that you know really get affected by the environment but there's some high quality stuff I'm sitting there with like my coconut chalice my feet dangling in this infinity pool being like what the fuck how did I get here thank you you know um so yeah canary islands is cool i mentioned guam guam was like a unseen and unthought of paradise for me i just never heard of it It wasn't on my radar but it was a beautiful place and it's recreational you know recreationally legal in guam um not telling everyone to go there or what i was able to walk down the beach with no issues i was able to roll up my hotel with no issues Um, I respected, they asked me not to smoke or my host, not even the hotel asked me not to smoke in the room, only dab in the room, which is even cool that they were allowing that. And so I respect that. I I would roll up my entries and I would write the name of the entry on every crutch and I'd roll up five at a time and take a couple hour walk on the beach, like from one side to the other and only see one fisherman. Um, so what was the cool paradise
1: lodging like there?
2: Well, they put me up in like a big tourist hotel um, because there's still one or two of those that exist there. Although COVID knocked out a lot of uh, the tourism... You know, industry, there's still a few of those larger hotels and they put me up in a really nice what a place you'd recommend for people to go visit. I feel like it was Sheridan or something. But yeah, Guam in general is a place to visit. Um and the people are just very hospitable. Um the people I work with out there anyways are just amazing to me. Canary Islands, Guam, and we talked about Colombia a little bit and how their scenes popping off. I'm so blessed to have seen some of these places and I want to go back. Colombia, um, Argentina Bangkok. I was just in Thailand and got to tour some amazing facilities and see the life there? out there. It's very, they've freed up right now. They opened up the gates wide. So it's like what happened in New York when they first opened up, every bodega is now a dispensary and that's what happened in Bangkok or in Thailand. I believe I was only there a few, for a few days to judge uh, a cup out there. And luckily I got to escape for a day with one of my partners and check out uh a grow facility and just see some different things and saw some beautiful hardwall greenhouses that were producing amazing products and people are really attentive to detail out there. There's been a lot of people growing in Thailand for a long time, but in their closet quietly. I remember the first time I was even on that side of the world, it was scary to have weed on you out there. You were scared of death or life sentence type of vibe. So it was very hush, but people been doing it. So there was a lot of knowledge on the ground and now they're going bigger you know and the facility that i saw was owned by like rice plantation owners so like they've been growing rice for years and uh you know generations of rice farmers have now kind of come in and but i think this spot that i
0: specifically saw saw there's some some future for it. It was a beautiful space. And you linked up with greenhouse guys. You linked up with Dustin linked up with them, but I didn't see their facilities. Um, just hung out with dust a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I've been following them. They're, they're boots on the ground right now. Basically the whole team damn near. Yeah. And they, they have a cultivation they're opening their own. They have their own dispensary. Like, it's it's interesting to see where people go full force, right? Because when South America popped off originally, they were down there too. I was watching them put up greenhouses, same with Africa. You're yeah, like,
2: what? I love it. I love it. And you know, it's interesting. South America, not all of it's freed up yet. You know, my wife is from Chile and it's still very uh illegal in Chile and in, you know, other countries throughout South America. Uh, I'm I'm excited for all of South America to free up because then it really opens up some borders. I feel like
0: we were hearing about all the export that's about to happen from South America to the UK Mm -hmm. and that the first legal export of cannabis is going to go from South America to the UK. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's interesting. Yeah, that's a
2: whole new big world for me. And I'm still learning, you know, in the international trade world because for us as Americans, this is a federally illegal product. We don't really understand it yet. Um, But there's definitely a lot of that happening in the medical markets because there are non-producing countries that have gone medical that are not cultivating and they're, you know, relying on that export. And it's been happening. Um, Canada's been shipping a bunch and yeah, all over the the world from Israel. I was about to say, Takun
0: Ulam, their facility was like, where's all this weed going? This is like football fields of weed.
2: Yeah. And it was all legally transported and everything, you know, everything was very
0: tracked yeah still is. Yeah. have you been out there to, to the israel facility? no that mm-hmm. was that was one know. of the first places on instagram where i'm like this is unbelievable does anyone know this is going on i mean i even pre tikkun alone i started
2: watching um oh man what was it, it was actually a, a california friend uh green had, Finder? Had, no 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 somebody had gone out there it was one of the very first large instagram accounts space in the name but i remember them showing their facility it was a beautiful greenhouse facility with like their agronomist and stuff there it was very scientific and the dude's filming his, his buds and his flowers and then all of a sudden he films the camera up he's like oh check this there's like bombs flying overhead and stuff between like gaza and it was uh it was real eye-opening to me um and then eventually like those pages got like chopped and the
0: instagram algorithm changes yeah johnny was a part of that situation it was crazy day. to see like when you're you're like this is the most this is like when you see gene finder and az and his facility right where it's literally football fields and they can open it up and it's as that, far as you can see that facility that was in az yeah i, I was out there
2: like i toured that facility actually um, with my buddy jojo and somebody else brought me to that facility i remember seeing that greenhouse i got some some heat in that facility I asked if I could film and everything and I bring out my camera and I'm filming and somebody comes up behind me and is not happy that I'm filming. It was really weird interesting, uh, situation over at that facility. I was the gene finder wasn't anything to do with it. You know, they would run like
0: 1700 phenos of a strain. They would run like 1300 phenos. I don't think that company is in existence. No, it is weird, right? Some shit happening over there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's this a volatile market what do you What do you think is the next up and coming emerging market in the u s like what's next
2: Ooh, I mean,
1: you know you've got places like Ohio going um where you think the culture's really going to live though. Cause like lately we've been going to to 420 and stuff and and you feel it
2: there. I feel like Miami, if if you, if you can free it up, you know, in Florida and you've got like South beach freeing up, it's going to go back on the ballot this year coming any, any spot that's already a vacation destination. If they free it up, you know, I think that's a good spot to be. If I can go hang out and, you know, at the shore club and smoke weed, freely and be served drinks like i'm gonna be, i'm gonna be hanging out over there yeah you know what i mean i'm gonna go over there i don't (laughs) know um but that's also because i've lived in colorado on and off for over two decades so like i need a little humidity and and heat in my life Thaw out yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah what about outside the u.s oh man outside the u.s well thailand freed it up very very large now they're trying to tighten it Um, so like right now go check Thailand. It's fun. Um, but I don't know if that's going to last. I don't know where the next spot is, you know, spots become really popular. Like, you know, Amsterdam was one of the first, and then they start like over-regulating and it becomes less cool and people migrate to places like Barcelona. Um, and it's all in the production as well of some of these events you know like high times tried to bring a big culture back to jamaica i say back to jamaica cuz jamaica's had the culture you know since you know the beginning um but you see events start to try and bring that culture to a country and they fuck it up and they aren't well, you know, good to the locals and it dies on its face. But if you like do the event, right, it gives people a reason to go there and make it a a tourist destination. So I feel like the events, if they're produced well, um, will create that draw, you know? So, Anywhere that you're going to bring good event production that has a nice environment is going to be the future. And I think it can be anywhere, really. Um, I want them to start freeing up places in like Nicaragua. I know that the Virgin Islands are freeing up right now. So I think that that's a good future play um usvi costa rica is talking about it um i was out there and it's definitely very well accepted in costa rica and it always kind of has been a little bit but yeah that's a nice new future future destination i'm i'm going trying to hang out in the caribbean but as i mentioned you're not going to see the best hash in those regions you might see some pretty good flour but the terroir is going to affect the ability to produce the best hash even if you make it the best the second you bring it out into that environment you're showing your friends it's going to oxidize faster than if you were in a cold dry environment
0: i'm waiting i'm interested to see what happens with england the uk the amount of money and resources buildings uh passion it's still so underground and it's evolved underground right it's like their market is evolved it's not stagnant but it's also passionate people doing big things underground there still it's it, that cuz like we hear germany we hear uk then you hear spain and it's like well spain because people were fleeing half of the other parts of the uk to go to spain like yeah. we were talking about some of the best hash makers in spain are from italy mm-hmm. you know or, or have migrated for you know go where you're celebrated not where you're tolerated yeah and they were hardly tolerated in in italy um you're still getting in trouble for oh it oh yeah there. Big yeah, time. definitely, definitely. Thailand, it's crazy. You said nine thousand stores. Yeah, I mean that's insane. Yeah, I've Thailand.
1: been wanting to go. It's just such a commitment to go. You got to have two, three weeks. <laughs> I had four days. It was tough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in and that's, out. That's fucking in and out. Rough.
0: Yeah. You said you're on the road basically every day of the month except for maybe two days.
2: Yeah, lately, and that's not like what the initial plan was. I definitely planned to go on a tour. Um, but i didn't think it would just keep going like this um yeah it's it's fun but it's draining and uh you feel it's paying off yes and no i definitely undervalued and overbooked myself for a couple years but now as i pivot into producing my own events because i have the presence it's paying off for sure um i'm selling out all of all of my events sell out um All of my merch sells out, you know, because I've done so much road, I think, because I put in the work. So uh, every trip might not be, you know, financially viable when I break down the numbers uh, for how much I spend to have the properties taken care of when I leave town, my teenager, you know, and uh, everything else. But if I look at the big picture, and this is also what I'm still trying to convince myself. Um, <laughs> But yeah, when I look at the big picture, it's paying off because the things that now I do very curated, you know, and very intentional events, that's what they are. People see it like that and people really respect the events. There's a lot of cool media that happens after the events that, you know, continue to get pushed out for years um, after that actual event. So, um, the future is looking really bright for me and my own production. And last year I really implemented it full force and it was really, it went really well, surprisingly. Um, I always say that the first time you do something, you should plan to lose some money and break even. And, um, my new endeavor of essential education, which is our group classes has done really well.
0: Wow. It parallels a lot of stuff we've had conversations on. Yeah with uh, what we've gone through traveling and trying to take Door for other smoke other events. place and pop yeah. up at other people's events versus us holding back and then curating the the event the way we would want to be curated for. Yeah,
2: and if you have the,
0: the, the skill set
2: um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have started in, you know, the music world really before the hash world. And really before I became a DJ, I was dabbling in it. I did the, you know, production engineering and I was taking phone calls for a political radio station in the Bay area. So I learned the soundboard. Um, I learned, you know, all the backend production as far as, you know, inputs and outputs and just learning from experience in the, you know, in the stage world i guess Um, and i've taken that now to owning my own sound systems in both states california colorado and i have a lot of the infrastructure and the knowledge and the experience to be able to do it on my own rather than teaching someone else's class for them and you know other countries which i've done and i think that was good and i'm not you know uh mad about doing any of that i'm just happy that i'm doing my own production because i have the back end to be able to do it and i've got a team too i've got a team of amazing graphic designers that i work with and uh i also curate that team you know if it's a certain project i'll call a certain person and we have like a a nice rolodex of people that have
0: specific styles that i need you've done full hash classes and seminars in spain like people, that's not easy to go somewhere and say, okay, and now I'm going to teach that you. you have to bring your certain things you're not going to be able to get over there, or you're going to have to make sure are set up prior. Like putting on a live performance, what do you think like one or two essential things that you've learned are? Well, I think when I first started doing it, I expected them
2: to have everything I, I need that they could get a hold of. There was never, you know, they didn't get a hold of everything, or sometimes they'd get a piece of equipment and it was like very cheaply made and it wasn't going to do the job I needed it to do. So I think that's how it started. And, um, it, there's some aspects of that situation that make me look bad in reality. And that make me feel like I didn't do justice to the situation. Like my first classes in Spain, I was teaching people how to press rosin in a 90 degree Fahrenheit Hot social club where there's 200 people gathered around and all their body heat makes it really hot really difficult to collect and I'm even explaining like this is not what I would you know generally do but let's try it and saying things like that you know eventually you just don't want to do that and you want to step it up so actually now. I work with some amazing companies, um, some sponsors and equipment manufacturers that I do sales for. And if I want to throw a professional class in a licensed facility anywhere in the world, my back is covered by those people. And I really, truly appreciate those brands. So big up all y'all, you know who you are, um, because when I have an event, they stand behind me and they'll drop ship. A thirty thousand dollar piece of equipment for me if I need it in one of those countries. So now things are a little different, but I'm also staging it for them in a certain manner. I watched other people do these classes and still do these classes. Just last weekend in a garage, okay. And they're people that I've worked with, and that I've taught classes with, and then I've t- you know um, that I've taught and that have taught me things but I wanna continue raising that bar. So now I'm only doing classes in licensed facilities and to do one in Denmark in a licensed facility, I tell you, it's not easy. Um, so we have implemented everything to bring Fresh frozen material from a licensed cultivation, medical, it's only medical in Denmark, to the institute where they do licensed research and development, not only on cannabis, but this is a large institute where they do stress testing for Ikea. They do like the fake meat laboratory testing like everything i do testing for coca-cola it's a very large research institute that we're bringing a class to this march 2024 um so that's where i'm taking the classes now you've been out there yet yeah luckily think, i just would you checked you? it out i'd always wanted to check out christiania to me that was another mecca um mm-hmm. that i've really i started hearing about my first travels to amsterdam i was like told, Hey, just take a train ride to two to four. I can't even remember now from Amsterdam, go, go check out Christiania. They call it free town. I was like, what do you mean by free town? And people, you know, I had dreadlocks to my ankles. I was, you know, trying to follow this and I still live a very healthy lifestyle, but I wouldn't call myself a hippie by any means. And really back then I didn't call myself a hippie, but I was following a lot of, and hanging out with a lot of hippies and Freetown Christiania was a hippie Mecca, just like Boulder, Colorado, I was told was a hippie Mecca or a music Mecca or a culture Mecca, if you will today. Um, and so I always wanted to check out Christiania in Denmark. And uh, I did check it out and I met some of the people that helped build that town, which is really cool um, to meet those people that helped design and build the skate park that it's in Christiania because it's still today a town that's very you know, private. There's still gates in this town you know, where you can't get in. It's interesting, like I got dropped off one of the first times by a taxi driver. He's like, it's in there. I was like, well, it's all gated. He's like, yeah, walk around. Like, Oh, like that, bro. Like, and there's like one entrance, but I started walking towards and somebody who happens to live in there, they have a key to the gate. And Anyone who lives there has keys. He's like, I got you. And he like, let me in. And that was a cool energy even just in of itself. Cause like, I'm, I'm new here and some random guys like letting me into this cool gated community where they're still allowed to sell weed. And I say allowed because the cops, I guess now come in and like, will clear it out. And like basically shut it down for a couple hours. But then you see a couple hours later, same vendors come right back out with their tables and their umbrellas selling weed. Um, How far is that from like, you know, Copenhagen or Christiania's in Copenhagen? Oh, I'm really bad with geography. Yes, it's a small little subsection, little gated community in Copenhagen. So
1: it's not too far out of the mix.
2: No, it's pretty central. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's um, very interesting. That's the first I've heard of that. Yeah. 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 Check out Christiania. Cause it's something that like I heard legends and lores of Christiania as a kid, as like a place. And I heard things that definitely weren't the case today. Maybe they were the case back then when I first started hearing about them, but I was hearing like that all drugs were very legal and accepted and and you know like it was just like i don't know the stories we heard was like there's sex on the streets and there's drugs and it's like you know it's a miss we, used we to should fucking Amsterdam. check it out and like yeah. i had these visions i don't even know why but i had these visions of like these grassy hills where people were just like naked and smoking weed and smoking opium and doing whatever the fuck they wanted it wasn't quite like that um but It definitely had a very free vibe to it and meeting some of the people that, you know, started it and have since some of them have gone to jail and other situations, I think from, you know, living in this culture, if you will, um, there's some aspect to me that says that maybe there was something of that nature back in the day, but today it's still very free and you can go buy cannabis, you will buy
0: hashish. You know much about Prague? have you no been, i'm uh, in brog. we've heard about some things with the Jamaica i mean
2: other than the alcohol i hear that beer is good in Prague. yeah czech republic they have yeah. fake weed stores all over i know that everywhere everywhere these days it's all the da and thcv and yeah and there's a lot of miseducation so um yeah i guess it's up to us to really teach the world that's also why i'm
0: traveling Mm-hmm. And that's why I ask you these questions because you're boots on the ground at a lot of these places, which is a lot different than just hearing about it third party or listening to someone tell a story about 10 years ago when I was there with Jamaica. I know you have a very passionate, like you spend time there. You want you very in tune with what's going on there. What do you think What happened to the cannabis scene? Like it started to boom and then you don't hear much about it. They had indoor going, but. No. And I think they still do. Okay. Um, uh, one of my
2: previous partners owns kaya which i think is one of the most well-known dispensaries cultivations in kingston um and they might i'm betting they have more locations now at this point um so i still hear bits and pieces of jamaica but i think in general Jamaica's always been you know like yes we survive off of tourism but we're gonna keep jamaica try to keep jamaica as much jamaica as possible and so when outsiders come into a place like that unless you're respectful you're gonna get turned away you're gonna get shut out and so i think that's really what happened is some people tried to come in to jamaica maybe not so respectfully to the culture that already exists there because that's a big part this has been happening in jamaica well before us and you can't go to jamaica thinking that we're gonna teach them anything you know, um, of course there's going to be things that I learn. you know, from my Jamaican farmer friends, and there's going to be things that they learn from us. But as a, a culture, I think that they've been doing it for a very long time and they want to keep doing it the way that they've been doing it. You know, even just, I remember some of the first times I went to Jamaica, I brought OG, I brought some OG Kush clones. Um, to Jamaica. And actually one of the times later in life, I was legally allowed to bring a bunch of things into Jamaica. It was a trip having like all these signatures from the prime minister and um, allowing me to bring certain items through the border. It was crazy. But before all that, I still, yeah, brought some clones. Clones don't contain THC. I'm allowed to travel with them. Maybe ag, ag didn't like that, but. I don't remember what happened, you know, how that was cleared. But either way, gen- genetics have moved. Um, and I remember bringing this OG to like this Jamaican farmer. He's like, man, may I have breed this. And I was like, no, bro, this one's a clone only. Like, keep this as it. Like, you're going to be the only one with it. No, mommy, I for breed this with the most wanted or the, this or that. I'm like, no, bro. Like, please don't breed this one. You know, that's the point of this just one. Run it. Yeah, just grow it and keep it. Keep make a mom of it. And so like naturally I saw this, you know, just wanting to create their own thing with anything that they were doing. And uh maybe I'm generalizing, maybe I'm stereotyping, but um you saw A lot of the the influx of european genetics hit and that really watered down a lot of like those land races and even other clone onlys that people brought in got bred. um jamaicans just want to do things their way and i like that and i respect that and they're very straightforward about it you know that's part of why i love dancehall music you know they just say it how it is and i fuck with that
0: one of the coolest things if you haven't seen nicotine's uh live djing in a full grow up it was one of the coolest things i had to bring it up because we talked about it on off the mic before this which is some of the stuff we film off the podcast but he has a full dj session in a like multi-million dollar grow up like vertical grow up PIPP horticulture, whatever the the system is. And it's pretty cool. It's, is it called Bloom? Uh, Indico. Indico. Indico, Colorado. Um, Owen,
2: the family over there put me on. Owen, one of the owners is also a DJ. So he initially set up his turntables in the grow. And I watched one Instagram post go up, the very first one of him just scratching in the grow on like a nice set of Mm techniques. And I was like, I just messaged The guy. I was like, bro, can I come DJ in there? And he was like, I don't see why not. That'd be fun. You know, and I think he was stoked to hear from me. And I was like, that looks like a vibe. And uh yeah, we made it happen. I might have been one of the first. They might have brought somebody else into DJ before me. Um, I don't know exactly to be honest, but but I definitely do give credit to Indico for you know stemming the idea um to just DJ for the plants instead of the people. Sometimes the plants need that too.
1: That'd be dope, like outdoor too. Like somewhere remote, like yeah. mom or something like that's not, like as coming from a content angle, like if you did that in each place you went and like set up like that'd be pretty dope. Cause you see that in DJs and like mountainside or like yeah, on a rooftop, the YouTube, on like streaming or
2: DJs or yes. the Twitch yeah. stuff. You know, I started you wanting to do that. YouTube, and yeah. so I put a green screen in my living room so I could just pull up anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So like, I literally, I'll, I'll, put Guam in the background. I'm like, yeah, I'm DJ in there, but when I, you I saw values with it.
1: And you <laughs> I think that, that creates really cool content time sharing that moment. Yeah. I like over COVID. I was like looking at those videos and shit. I need, so I've got amazing videographers, I've got that, but I've been looking
2: for somebody that can help me with some like just background images or, or videos basically. Cause I've got so many mixes now that I did record the audio in Berlin, Germany, or I recorded the audio in these places, but um, I don't have the video editing skills to make it all come together. But it's, you know, that's some of the future stuff It's to create some it, more,
0: man. create more I of that content from either. what we did. Yeah. yeah. I love that DJ and live from like the, have you heard of Ryan Celsius? The DJ? Yeah, it sounds familiar. So he, he'll have it to where they put on like almost a video camera and he'll walk around Japan. He has a series called Trapping in Japan. And it's the, it's him. It's a DJ set, right? That's the audio. But the video is him walking through the streets of Japan on like a busy day. So you get mesmerized watching this like where is oh kyoto japan and he's walking through and there's love people love and then the dj sets fire and it's like he, i mean he blew up on youtube that's on right that. that's right i've been doing some similar things i just don't have the the proper
2: professional you know editors i think to make it really look like my vision because i've sent all the content and stuff to a few people now i'm still waiting
0: yeah on the let me ask you just on the grow side, something for I know grower, that I'm not good at. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's a hard part. I mean, having creatives around you and then them also being business minded is probably one of the most difficult things we deal with uh, in any creative space. For a grower to to kind of cap, what is some advice you would say to any grower that wants to grow for hash? Cultivar
2: allocation first and foremost. So you know, not every strain is going to produce. The hash that you want, or really, you have to think about what end product you want to produce, or what end product is your market asking for. Is I think the first step. Um, If your market's doing really well with rosin carts, then I would suggest moving in a certain direction rather than moving in like a high THC direction, which is going to create you know more issues for stabilization in a cart form um so i think that that's the first step is understanding your market understanding what product you're going to produce for that market and then you go to the drawing board with the cultivation and say okay we're going to work with this you know line of genetics this lineage to get to that end product
0: what about some advice for the end consumer of hash because that's the massive market right that's the most people is just consumers yeah end consumer of hash smoke more hash. I like that. That works. (laughs) One of the smartest things, uh, Ros and guys did was put a thing called a donut together. And because, like, I feel like that kept this wave even bigger and growing. Now you see more skews, dude. Donuts are huge. Yeah, big up, you
2: know, Lorenzo. Big up some of the, the, Inspiration on that. I mean, I think we've been doing it since the 80s, if not before. We called it things, you know, called it different things from like snake in the grass to um, you name it. But now it's more intentional, you know, and they're creating a more even larger snake uh, to create, you know, yeah, more of that donut appearance when you light that thing. Um, yeah. And I think that there's plenty more creative things that we can do with this plant. Um, that will create niches and more revenue streams for other people
0: i got one more question anyone wanting to enter the cannabis space coming from someone who's been in it 20 plus years uh any advice for someone trying to get in now um yeah find your passion because
2: there's a place for everyone's passion in all industries i feel. So, i think first and foremost you have to do what you love. So don't get into this space especially now for the money. Um yeah, i think just find your passion and then your role will become apparent.
0: What about for people who are feeling burnt out on the industry? Pivot. Yeah. It's great advice. Business advice. It's uh you've been through a lot of partnerships so that's why i ask you. You know, you know, you know what it is. And I still have a lot to learn.
1: Yeah.
2: um, And I'm learning each and every day. Um, I think
0: that motivates me to continue going along this path in this space. What do you, what do you have bubbling right now? Like what's the new stuff people should look out for?
2: Um, We just uh, started a series called a series now because there's been so much uh, positive energy surrounding the event, but we started a series called high tea where we pair traditional tea with traditional hashish to try and, you know, bring some more traditional hashish rather than rosin, more unpressed or un, yeah, extruded products to the market and to, you know, show some love to where it all came from really. And then also really because I tasted some pu'er tea, some traditional Chinese tea from the pu'er region. Um, and it, I got very much hash essences from like petrichor earthy gassy tones even in this tea Um, and it started sending my brain on a pathway of wanting to do some different pairings and i think naturally when we smoke hashish it can hurt our throats and we want to drink a soothing beverage rather than trying to pair uh hash with food which isn't as easy to do i wanted to do something a little bit more natural something different something that hadn't been done so that's going to be repeated annually for sure um high t humble will be an annual celebration kind of right before emerald cup and ego clash and uh we might take it on the road as well and then essential education we started last year and i've already started to lay out Q1 and Q2 dates and locations for our group classes. And that's something that I'm going to be focusing on a lot in the future is teaching group classes, which makes it more affordable for people to learn rather than my private consulting, which is a little bit more expensive. Um, of course, more focused and one-on-one. The group classes, people are taking a lot home from it. Um, I mean, just the goodie bags alone from the support from our sponsors are paying for the ticket. We're putting a lot of really amazing, cool, limited edition stuff into these goodie bags that the customers and, and uh, students are receiving for joining us throughout the world on essential education.
0: Well, and a great way too, if you're interested in making hash is take your group class. And then if a year goes by or time goes by, or you then need a private session, then take the private session and dial in your tech. I didn't think about that, to be completely honest, initially, I was like, oh, you know, these are just
2: going to be group class customers and I'll still have a few of my, my private consults. Now, a lot of the students from the groups are also private, uh, consult clients and it's, it's cool. They're learning. They seem very positive. I've launched a few of those brands as well that started in group classes that became private consults and have now launched.
0: We'll link all of his, basically all your social media. What's the best way to Get a hold of you if they want a private consult, a class consult, or they just want to reach out and see what you're up to and follow you. Yeah, my
2: website's a really good source. We keep it very well updated nicktanum.com or djnickatee.com. It'll go to the same spot. That'll also generally connect you to essential extracts.ca, essential extracts.co, and so on. Um, and then Instagram is also a really, really easy way to contact me, N I K K A underscore underscore t i'm very responsive i'm checking those request folders i'm kind of obsessive to be honest i can't stand having a notification it's weird um so you will get a hold of me if you message me on instagram i'm very accessible that's a good thing
0: especially for (laughs) business yeah. You know, awesome.
2: I mean, you Google my name and you probably find my cell phone number. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not hiding from anybody. I've had the same cell phone number for 20 years plus. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And if you're a hash maker out <laughs> there and you run into this guy, bless him up with some hash, Ooh. let him try this hash. I know you, Please. you have so much information and knowledge that you built over a 20 year career that if I was in the hash space, you would be someone that I would definitely consult or come to and want to show off what I've been doing and hopefully take a couple pieces of advice going the other way. Like, yeah. I
2: appreciate that, man. Yeah. Thank you for the praises. Um, we do everything from seed to sale. So for consulting, we do start at the grow. If you guys want, we will start with the design and layout of your entire laboratory. I will equip that laboratory and we will train staff in that laboratory. We'll also work on post-process consistencies, everything from carts, to cold cure to jam, um, everything under the sun. I love it all. And uh, we teach it all. Oh, we love a good rosin cart.
0: (laughs) That's one of my favorite things recently. I wish I knew
2: I would have brought some extra.
0: No, it's awesome. We'll look into this cheese, man. I know that's a hype one everyone asks about. So, but yeah, this is a long time coming, man. I've known you. I think I originally met you in maybe 2009, 2010, somewhere out there in Denver in those early years. And, uh, it's been a pleasure and it's been cool to see your evolution and the companies you produced. We bought the Tumblr when you were involved. Like, There's been so many cool things that you've focused on all through Hash and to see where Hash is now compared to where it was in 2008, 9, and 10. It's mind-blowing.
2: Man, I'm just blessed to still be here, like I said, and truly appreciate you guys having me and all the love and praise and yeah, mad respect to you too as well, yeah. same way.
1: Absolutely, man. You guys know what it is. First smoke of the day. We appreciate you guys. Uh, thanks for being on today, man. And keep doing what you're doing, bro. Fighting a yeah. good fight. We'll look forward to 2024 and hopefully crossing paths. Right on, y'all. Yo. Absolutely. You Make guys know tea. what it is, man. First smoke of the day. We're out. Hey. Peace. Oh, shit. I lost the link. Oh, it's right here. <laughs> if you like this episode, watch more. Click right here. Right here.